Welcome to Archetypes and the Planets, where Andre Carr and I, Bea Gonzalez, invite you to think metaphorically as we explore how we have collectively translated the map of the sky into our mythologies, religious systems, and personal psychology. Okay, so today we are going to be speaking about the moon and what happens when the moon aspects any other uh, planet in the in the chart. Um, we started with the sun uh, and we mostly spoke about conjunctions, but I think we're going to move on now to talk about any aspect uh, between the moon and any planet that we want to discuss. And so why don't you define... I mean, let's just keep it simple. Let's use the Ptolemaic aspects, which are the conjunction, which is, of course, when two planets are in the same place, or the sextile, which is um, 60 degrees apart, uh, the square, which is a, a harmonious aspect, the, the planets work together well, uh, trine, which is another harmonious aspect, which is 120 degrees away. And then we have the two challenging uh, aspects, which are the square, which are 90 degrees away, and the opposition, which are... Um, 180 degrees away and and the reason you should pay attention to this is that the relationship that the planets are in with each other does actually really condition the experience you are going to have of those two planetary energies am i okay with this or do you want to add something to this that's that's essentially it the the uh the twos multiples of two so the the opposition is two one planet opposite the other the square is four because you're cutting the circle in four and then even if you went to eight, you would still be in that uh, irritating dynamic energy where something is out of balance, seeking to find balance and possibly never finding it while developing itself. It's just that uh, this is where a person with a, a two or a four might develop a special kind of balance in the sense that they've grown toward it because they're originally out of balance, so to speak. And then in the right. case of the the three, six, nine, which is the trine, cutting the circle in three, cutting the circle in six or in nine pieces, there is uh, a kind of natural integration or a natural ease, which could be good, but it could also be a problem if you become too happy with what you think is <laughs> happening, yeah. right? So yeah. so that's that's the logic about that, yeah. Around the yeah, well, I mean, I think it's important to say that because it is true that everybody's always saying, well, I love the the so-called good aspects or helpful aspects, but we've often seen and talked about how there are many charts with extreme harsh aspects who achieve a great deal, possibly because they're being driven by the very aspects that feel like they have to be integrated. So there's more work involved in those. So just when we say um, that they're generally helpful or unhelpful, they're all helpful in the end, right? In some way or another, and they can all be unhelpful in other ways. So it's just yeah. a matter of what, how does the conversation look? When So that's what we'll mostly focus on. So we already did the sun and the moon, and I think we figured those two out. So let's move on to the next one in the groups, so the moon and the mercury uh, together. What happens when those two planetary energies are having a conversation? What does that look like? Well, the, the moon... And relating to your to your emotions, to your immediate habits, the moon is a very habit-driven type of energy. It's where one way to understand it is how a person seeks to find comfort in their life, find a way of feeling good on a you know you could say daily basis, but you could just as easily say moment moment to moment basic or, or rather basis. So then, if that's true, whatever planet is aspecting the moon, 
in some way becomes part of that person's sense of how they find comfort or they find connection in the most immediate way. It's a little bit like if you think of the moon as your mother's breast at the beginning. It's the, 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 that place in the almost you're unconscious. You're just either comfortable or uncomfortable. So then if you put the moon next to Mercury, you're putting it next to the mind planet. And it's also the communication planet. You could just the thinking planet. All those things are going to come into the foreground and they're, it's, it's going to be connected to the way the person manages their emotions, understands their emotions. And so, I mean, you have a Moon-Mercury conjunction. You're a great mm -hmm. example of this, that yeah. you have done a lot of writing in your life. Why? Because writing makes you feel good. And now, another person might say, well, why, why would a person... <laughs> what a crazy thing to do. Well, no, if it's Mercury, right? Yeah. Uh, that, that fits the idea. Then, then from there, you could extrapolate that potentially, you would say your emotions and your thoughts could get well aligned because it's a conjunction, right? So then, in that sense... That could be a great advantage. Or, for example, the ability to verbalize or write your emotions and express them could add a lot of something to writing that would otherwise be maybe too mercurial, too, right. too logical. And now you bring in the feeling. You know, the moon and feeling are always going to be there. And, I mean, you, can, you, can, uh, you could do a kind of a brainstorming session and talk about all the possibilities of moon-mercury. I mean, think of, for example, one... Uh, not funny, really, but a kind of side effect of Mercury. Mercury is a speedy uh, energy that can become a little thievish. So Moon-Mercury moon conjunct could make a really good pickpocket or a really good, really good thief in that they're very connected emotionally to that ability to do things quickly, slippery. And right, so right. it could manifest that way, just as it could manifest in, in writing or even a great politician that is able to convey their emotions. And uh, I'm sorry that I can't think of one at the moment, but no, I if, if, I, yeah. if I were a politician, I would uh, welcome a Moon-Mercury aspect in that right, sense. Right. Yeah. I guess the negative or the downside of that, is, let's say it's in a square in opposition, will be tougher. And even with the conjunction, I felt it, is that there can be a habit of being overwhelmed um, by emotion and feeling like you have to verbalize, <laughs> feeling like you have to express. And it can be a bit... Um, kind of a little bit much sometimes. So you always have to restrain it a bit um, in the sense that there's a too muchness about it, right? So other people without that connection may not feel a need to verbalize, to tell you, to talk about it. Whereas right. I think there's a compulsion yeah. around Moon Mercury where they have to express everything and maybe not everything needs to be expressed. Maybe it needs to be processed. Right. The other thing is about the, just thinking of Mercury in its archetypal sense as the translator from the unconscious to the conscious. I find that... Um, for me, anyway, that may explain in part, because I think Neptune's involved, but it's making a, an aspect to my moon Mercury anyway. But um, my need, my real interest in the unconscious and the in the idea of the whatever's floating around there and how you translate that and, and make that. And of course, that would include things like dreams and other productions of the unconscious, because it is that that kind of character coming in and out of uh, um, alignment with the gods, so to speak, trying to tell you something that's a bit deeper, perhaps. But I think the most thing that when you say it and having that that in my own chart is just the compulsiveness around communication. And it's not just writing. It is talking, as you know, right. uh, talk, 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 can be, uh, connect with people through conversation. In fact, I just funnily did a, a, a podcast with John Price where I basically was distilling that. that basically, the answer to everything is conversation. And that seems to be 
a very mercury moon. <laughs> Just talk, people. Yeah, have right. have ecological, yeah, yeah. Right, but you could you could see it where, for example, to give a counterpoint to that. Yeah. Suppose now you found a person that had a moon mercury conjunction in the twelfth house, right? Mm, okay. Then. Just imagine, although we're jumping ahead a little bit, but put pressure on that Moon-Mercury conjunction in the 12th house through something like Saturn from the perspective of discipline or whatever the person is feeling or some other planet. They might advocate silence because yeah, they might sure. say, oh, this talk, you know, this is what's disrupting the, the, the energy. So, but to your point, Moon opposite Mercury, for example, might be a person that needs to vent a lot. They have to tell yeah. you everything. They have to, <laughs> this is what happened. This is what happened, which is okay if the other person is willing to listen. And mm -hmm. one of the things is that, that I'll say about the moon is that the moon in a, it is probably the most, uh, uh, how, how do I say this? The most mechanical unconscious planet. So it's the easiest way for people to peg you, you know, to right. say, oh, this is the way this person is. And then, that's where you can run into trouble because you don't see that in yourself. They see it and it's like they know this person always goes to this particular behavior. This is why the Armenian mystic Gurdjieff, who was a Capricorn, he actually said you have to kill the moon. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> enough, enough. Yeah, he definitely had astrological knowledge and his whole idea was you become like a machine and then people kick each other's machines because they're basically doing their unconscious comfort thing, which is their moon. Right, right. And so doing, they irritate each other because they, it's almost like, uh, think of the idea, moon, mercury, I'm going to verbalize my emotions. I'm going to keep right, putting right. them out because that way I can, I can figure right, out right. where to put them, you know. Uh, yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. It's interesting because, uh, yeah, the moon is absolutely the most habitual part of you. You do it almost without thinking. It's uh, because it is driven so much by what uh, whatever emotion is going through it. Um, but uh, I've, like the actual killing of the moon. Well, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's that... now it's extreme. Right, it's extreme. But it's but it is that it's that notion that the sun is conscious, the moon is right. unconscious. Unconscious because so it's then, the feminine, and, yeah. and He explicitly said, I'm teaching solar energy. That's the giveaway ah. that he understood okay. the, the map. But I mean, in any case, see, because you could see there too where a moon-mercury conjunction, uh, for example, or a square on opposition might channel a lot through thinking as well, because Mercury is the thinking planet. Yeah, yeah. So that person is, in a sense, could be overly fond of thinking too. You have, you have to True. always look, think of yeah, all these angles all that are, no Absolutely. pun intended. I mean, think of yeah, the Yeah, yeah, of course. The <laughs> yeah, angles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think of just, just as a one more final thing with Gurdjieff, wasn't he both a moon and sun in Capricorn, Gurdjieff? Right. And I think had a couple. Well, I mean, those are, that's a Saturn ruled, uh, Saturn ruled moon and uh and sun which makes me think saturn's one of the big father killers so of course he's going to kill something and right. uh he would if he's trying to do a solar path and yeah the moon is the thing that kind of drives you back to past right. emotional patterns past behaviors and they often get you into trouble because a lot of trauma is actually encoded in that okay yeah. so mo moving to moon venus we have the two markers usually assigned to the feminine right mm -hmm. or the yin aspect of the in the chart and they're now together. What do we get when we have a Moon-Venus conjunction or, or an opposition or a square? Any any kind of conversation between these two? What happens? Well, that's the classic Moon-Venus uh, way to understand it in a uh, somewhat shallow way, but illustrates the point really well because Venus tends to be the way people understand what is valuable or what is beautiful or harmonious. And in some ways you could say, well, everyone understands what that is and that's true to an extent 
but not entirely true in that different societies appreciate different things, right? So Venus in a very strict authoritarian country is different than in some other country. So anyway, the point being, you see Moon Venus show up quite a bit in interior decorators, people like that that are, they're, they're, fond, they're, they're trying to create a certain beauty and they have ideas, well, it should always be this particular color or the other color, and that may clash with someone else's, but it's the logic of beauty, balance, uh, as well as what do we value as a society? What do we think is, uh, what do we feel is strong? That's hence all, all those ideas about Venus representing consensus. You know, we all have a consensus about this. So the moon being that way, the person, especially if it's a square or an opposition, will have strong views, you know, because everything to them needs fixing, you know, they, whatever it is that they're trying to beautify and correct, right, right. it shows up that way, right? right. Um, that's one way to understand it. And then any other thing you can think around Venus, for example, you could say a person with Moon Venus is going to be closer to their talents, to their, right, the, you know, to their yeah. to something about their abilities and talents. They, I, I think when you're trying to understand planets, it's very helpful to relate always to what they rule in the chart. So the Moon is always go to the fourth, go to the family, go to the early home, go to the the, sub, the unconscious at least, because that's Think of it like the home in a way, that's where people become more unconscious, you know, and just do yeah. things without thinking. The home and then Venus to the second, Taurus and to the seventh, Libra. Right. Um, but and, I mean, that, I'd rather we say that there are associations with those signs because my moon, for example, doesn't go my fourth. You have to, it depends on the ascendant that you have, right? So you have to be careful about that. I would say that what you're thinking more is that the moon is associated with cancer and cancer has a whole bunch of. Well, uh, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And then, yeah. But think about in your own life, how much you focused in your writing, you bring in the fourth a lot. You bring in your early home, you bring in, yeah. you relate to your, to your origins. It's just that with you, it's in your fifth, which then puts it in a creative area. But the reach toward the fourth house theme is very lunar. Right. Um, so and with Venus, for example, one of the things that's very curious is that Venus, the, it, when you think money, it's because of Taurus, second house, money, yeah. right? And the idea that the biblical talents are in the same yeah. house, right? So you had talents, you had money. Now talents are equated to abilities as well. But notice that money shows up in the seventh and that it's very strange that uh, the idea of the scales with Libra and the idea of pesos, they, you're using weights or the, or the, the British pound so there's an exchange of weight. So Libra also is connected to money in that way. The exchange too is the, I give you something, you give me something. There's a trade, right, Libra, right, right? Right, right? So Venus in that way gets connected to those things. And the moon, you put it square, opposed. It's going to be easier if it's conjunct or trine, obviously, right? right? It's obviously, going to flow yeah. better. But once again, let's say someone had the moon trine Venus. Does that mean that they, that they uh, have... Uh, a really beautiful house that they've created because of, or does it mean that they have a that it's their idea of what that is and then you walk in and you go oh my god and the person says well this is beautiful and you say but like i remember a person for example to give you an example of this an aries that had made their entire apartment red everything was red right and <laughs> so that's awesome. very jarring to them though that was their sense of you know <laughs> We all go mad in a place within two minutes. <laughs> okay, well, that's a great segue into the moon and Mars, which are, I think, a little bit tougher. I My own experience of moon-Mars people is they tend to 
have a, a sometimes an aggressive way of communicating their emotions, shall we say, even though it's not Mercury, we're talking about the moon, but there's a, there's a more explosiveness around there. There, I mean, these are just a couple of examples. I know uh, harder, harder to, to be able to work with that energy without getting, or maybe, maybe tell me the opposite. Is it that the Mars makes it all very hot? We're talking about something that's very wet and suddenly Mars comes in and heats something up. And then there's, there's a, uh, a different understanding. Like I, I'm trying to understand why, when you combine these two, that you get a lot of emotionality. That to, to, that is well. I guess it has to be. It's explosive. What's your experience of this? Yeah, the Moon Mars. I mean, compared to Venus and Venus, for example, if a person think of emotions, Moon, and think of Venus connected to that, that person is more likely than not to use passive aggressive energy to manipulate you. The Moon Mars person will tell you you're irritating me. <laughs> will say something aggressive. There's a there's an impatience too. Mars is, is yes. a fast energy, fast heat. Do it. It's very action oriented. If a person like that is seeing something moving too slowly, hence impatience, they're more likely to to complain. And I'm, I remember an astrologer long ago who even said that a, a Moon Mars woman might have more trouble giving birth because of because of the Mars energy being an impatience thing and the whole nature of it requiring a tremendous amount of patience. And so it could lead them to get tight and, and have mm -hmm. a difficult time. But remember, none of these statements, you always need the whole chart. Like you no, here we're studying yeah, yeah. In yeah, we're just talking generally. But, you know, and by the way, if you want to know Moon Mars or Moon Venus, but I would probably say Moon Mars is more striking. If, if you track your chart, you will know when Moon is square in your Mars because you will feel that exact thing yeah, yeah. in your chart. Even if it's subtle, sometimes a person can be very, very controlled by nature for other reasons, and they get a Moon Mars square, and the irritation is completely unknown to the environment, but they know that it's there. They'll feel right. this this thing happening, right? And Marshall, yes, for sure, uh, is speedy, aggressive, combative, irritated, yes, without question. However, also on the good side, it's energetic, and yeah. a Moon Mars person, including you experience, experience a Moon Mars square, let's say, happening or a conjunction and uh, in those cases uh, maybe there's a bit of an edge to it but you'll probably get something done you'll act and take action where if uh, if a person has a trine maybe they enjoy the action it's very natural to them right so mars as an action principle that way can be extremely helpful you know right 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 and and the thing about um that i was going to say about mars is that one of the things you said, sorry, that I think is important is that one way to learn about these planets, as you say, is to track where the moon is throughout the month and see what it's setting off in your chart. So even if you're not born with a moon-Mars conversation, the moon is going to have a number of conversations with Mars throughout throughout that um, cycle. And you can learn that way. Or alternatively, Mars has a two-year cycle. It will eventually hit your moon. At different points and you can just feel it right if you're just watching yeah. feeling how does it feel watch what erupts around you uh and then i think that's the best way to, to get to know what these planets are actually trying to tell us so we have a way we don't really have to be reading people or just just observe what what goes on even within you and of course it does get tricky because if you are by nature if you have a mars pluto then you can experience that moon in a different way because it will trigger so again we go back to the fact that we're speaking very generally here just about conversations but you do have to contextualize it within a larger um context always but i think the moon tracking the moon will actually give you a lot of information all right so moving to moon jupiter uh you now have moon 
uh, with the with the big benefic, the one that everybody loves, but can of course can be indulgent. And uh, so, what, what what's your take on the moon when it meets Jupiter? The one that comes to mind, I think Angelina Jolie, Angelina, yeah, she has I think the moon conjunct Jupiter in the tenth house, which would explain um, a lot about her career and also how she takes on the feminine very much for the for the. I think she also has Venus on conjunct the ascendant, so that explains her beauty and the way she. But she definitely has that role. She also, interesting enough, Moon Jupiter. She's adopted all of these kids, right, from everywhere. So it's almost like she's become the mother to uh, – she had three kids, and then she thinks she adopted three or four other ones. So it's almost like that moon Jupiter to the world, she is representing sort of the 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 big mother, the mother that, uh, that not only parents one, but many. And Jupiter, I think I associate often with international stuff. So she is also parenting kids from different countries um, that she adopted at some point. But what what uh, what is your take on moon Jupiter? Yeah, that that all of that it, is it sounds the you know Jupiter first of all doing a lot of something versus doing a little bit of something. So Moon Jupiter conjunction, you, the Jupiter expands the Moon, right? So Moon and and Mother energy, that's one way. Then the Moon separately is food. So a, a Moon Jupiter person uh, might eat too much possibly, or might eat foods that are really rich because Jupiter is a is a Jupiter is a rich energy basically um, and so you 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 take the meanings of Jupiter attach them to the moon and that's what you get it can be incredibly fortunate provided there's enough balance enough total integration moon Jupiter Jupiter being an optimistic enthusiastic positive energy can really help a person. I think I think that's what uh, Mitt Romney has in his chart. I, I remember oh, that I interesting, seen yeah. that. And so uh, there, that's the kind of thing that, for example, if someone has Moon Jupiter conjunct in the second house, all things being equal, it will help. If the person is well balanced, it can help them attract and make a lot of a lot of money, be able to be really uh, affluent. But then you can also think. You always think of the two sided coin. If you get the shadow of that, that would be someone that would spend too much because they, they get a really good, they feel secure by spending, you know, moving money around. And then maybe they run out of money and they create debt because that's the yeah. opposite house. So it's the idea that you think of your emotions, think of your comfort zone moon and pair it next to the most expansive planet. And, you know, an example, so moon Jupiter, one of the things with, um, say, if it was a politician, I don't know so much about Romney with this one, but that could cause someone to, to um, talk too much, like basically expand their emotions and expand their their feelings about something in in too big a way. On the other hand, if they use it well, incredibly useful, right? I mean, Jupiter is the most fortunate planet if it's used well. So you're always looking out for the shadow so that it won't it won't right, take right. over and and you know and, and cause problems. And by the way, sometimes you get people that master the Jupiter on one and they're not on the other, right? So mm -hmm. someone could be very, very good at managing their emotions and very, very poor at managing their food. <laughs> that can happen. <laughs> yeah. But I think there's the, the element of Jupiter always a bit too muchness problem that there can be moments where you just, you overdo it. Um, that's always the danger. I think the shadow side of Jupiter, while it does bring you great gifts, my own experience with Jupiter is they can also, and especially because the moon is so unconscious, that's the setup for going to a party and drinking too much or eating the wrong foods and right. feeling completely ill afterwards because you basically go unconscious in a big way, you know, not just in a normal way. And so, you know, and J Jupiter's luxury, you really do enjoy 
enjoy things around Jupiter, but it can make it, uh, and this is, you know, we talked about this, about the myth. That's the whole problem with Zeus. He is forever betting something because he can't contain that. It's just this incredible creative force that, that needs to be expressed. So definitely that is the, um, the shadow side of it. Moving to Saturn, what, what's interesting about moon Saturn is that we often only hear about the dark side of moon Saturn. We don't actually hear that maybe Saturn moon gives you a heck of a lot of discipline. So let's talk about the dark side, often associated as a mother. This is always a scary association, but, oh, well, if you have a chart with the moon and your moon is conjunct or having a conversation with, with Saturn, then you're unlikely to have a good relationship with your mother because one thing that the moon often signifies in a chart is the mother, which isn't true. We know plenty of people that that, that are able to have, uh, including one of my children. So we have a perfectly fine relationship, but that Moon-Saturn combination, give me the, the the good and the bad and all the stories that you can, when you put these two characters together, because they're not natural allies in the way, if I think of the planetary energies that they both uh, are expressing. Yeah, well, that's the, yeah, in a way, in a lot of ways, Saturn and Jupiter are, are a polarity in that uh, one is expanding and one is contracting. So, the where Jupiter is the up force, Saturn is the down force. It's just that exactly what you said that because it's a contracting, focusing type of force, Saturn is immediately a more ambitious energy. Because where with Jupiter, the person f feels the affluence, they feel this optimism, which can lead them the wrong way. Yes, but the optimism is naturally there. With Saturn, they feel the lack, and when with, by feeling the lack. It can make for incredibly successful people who push and drive toward uh, finish, uh, you know, fixing that lack. And then, of course, then that you get into the whole other thing about that they discover maybe 40 years later. Oh, the reason I've been doing this for all this time is because I thought that uh, if I made enough money or if I had enough fame, this would correct the problem from my childhood. Like uh, Anthony mm. Robbins is an example of that. He has a moon mm. Saturn square. So yeah. he would be, by many people's accounts, a great example of using it well because he's basically very ambitious to fulfill his life the american dream all of that but you can also see shades there of a lot of that is basically what one astrologer describes saturn as the overcompensation uh, yeah. part of the chart so once again if, if used well then you can have more discipline you can have more order you can have more uh, measurement power, which gives you more moderation. Saturn is moderation. It's like be able to measure things properly, right? Or if it the person, for whatever reason, falls into the shadow of Saturn, which is contraction energy that becomes negative, then that's a, a, a perfect path to depression because depression is Saturnian, right? It has to be that way. And this is where you have to spot it in yourself and others. I notice, for example, when the moon aspects Saturn in the cycle, just following it around, the best thing that can happen to me is that I find myself doing some work that needs to be done. And the worst thing that happens is that I don't feel all that great. I feel like checking out, the energy's low, I I've worked myself usually through something I did and the energy's not as good, or I'm doing something I really dislike. You know, it's the, ugh, I'm thinking, I wish I didn't have to do this. But that's the problem with Saturn in that sense is that it's constantly confronting you with the with life problems. <laughs> right, right, right. And a feeling, I felt, you know, uh, I think it was Alice Howell who said that the problem with Saturn is that the glasses you wear 
are tend to be a bit dark. They tend to look at the dark side or the or the like you said, the lack lacking, whatever's lacking. So it's not the situation necessarily that is lacking, but perhaps the perspective you're bringing by wearing those glasses. So I guess what you could practice is um, using all the Saturn tricks, like being more disciplined about your thoughts. Maybe it's your thoughts that are creating this, or you know, doing whatever you can. And, and when I think of Saturn Moon, I think that probably they're the people that would most benefit and might actually be able to do things like mindfulness and and um, those kind of uh, practices because by telling them, okay, this darkness may be because you lack awareness around it. Uh, and and remember, and putting together what you said about the moon that is extremely compulsive and unconscious, then maybe that is the way you can use Saturn to say, hey, use that as a way to become aware that they're just thoughts and you can observe them without engagement. Uh, because I think for moon Saturn, you've brought up one of the ones that I think comes up a lot in the significations, which is the tendency to be a little bit depressed or to have to fall into that, to fall into this feeling of the world is not enough, or I am not enough, or the situation is not enough. But by the same token, the positive side of Saturn, right, is that it gives you an incredible backbone. <laughs> so you're probably going to do better than others in being able to 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 call on discipline to come in. Jupiter doesn't give you much discipline. It can give you gifts, but discipline mm -hmm. isn't one of them. So I think that that Mars Saturn, considered one of the more problematic conversations, actually has a, a built-in um, ability to turn that around, but it takes a lot of work. And work is, of course, one of the words that Saturn is associated with. So I guess that that's, that's the other thing. But at least there's a route out. You don't necessarily have to get trapped. And you can use the very things that are creating the problems to perhaps solve the problems. Moving on to moon Uranus. Now, this is a completely different uh, energy from uh, moon Saturn. What, what, what do you take a very feminine, relational, habitual, <laughs> um, and then you put Uranus, which basically comes in and breaks everything up. What happens? Well, to, to, a great way to explain it is someone with moon Uranus, conjunction, square, and opposed, especially, maybe with when it's trying and sex stuff, but definitely if it's dynamic, like one, two, or four, a person like that, from usually from a young age, they are not in agreement with the status quo that's around them. So that's mm -hmm. this is the classic person that will tell you, oh yeah, I would see my parents doing their religion thing, and I just never understood what that was. I seem to be, I seem to be inclined to rebel, uh, naturally. And then it tells you about a temperament that is by nature that way forevermore, because that's the origin. But the idea of independence. Uranus wants to go its own way. It, Uranus, uh, in some ways, it, it's unfairly represented because in, in a lot of ways, Uranus is the, the, the clearest example of true individuality. When someone is mm. following their own way, what they really feel about something, and they do it. And then you have to think of potential downsides. Uh, take up, uh, for example, men or women, in this case, because the moon is is a female energy. It's easier to explain it through a male to a woman's chart, but it was a, it could happen in a man's too. Is the idea of being irresponsible because Uranus, in is selfish. You know, when you think individuality, the the uh, uh, shadow of that would be lack of responsibility, where you you're, you know you're too individual. You just say, well, I'm just going to do this. I don't care what you think. Right. And then people around you are thinking, but how can you not you know connect a little more? So and you 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 see this in people's charts when they have the the moon and Uranus, you see both of those. And obviously the way to go is to develop individuality and include others because if you connect Uranus to Aquarius, and although I used to resist this, now I'm quite convinced there's an association to Aquarius 
the idea of Aquarius is you are an individual within society. So you're trying to constantly be your best individual nature and you try to relate to other people as well. Not just right. like being in a cave, I just do whatever I want type energy, right? right? right, right. So that's I, you know, connected a lot, I think. That connects Moon and Uranus in that way. I, I have one example which which uh, doesn't speak to the responsibilities of Capricorn after all, but does speak to the kind of volatility of the women that you bring into your life. And the example is our prime minister and here in Canada. Justin Trudeau has an exact Uranus-Moon opposition across Aries Libra. Uh, moons and Aries. And, and if you remember the story of his early upbringing, if you remember his mother abandoned the family because of her mental illness when he was very young. And he reports as saying that that was incredibly traumatic for him because, of course, as a young kid, you think the mother's leaving because it's you. And what I found really interesting about his chart, one of my group members uh, noticed this, is that when he's gotten into trouble in Canada, it's often a woman who's at the center of it. Um, and, you know, that moon Uranus, it's almost like he's bringing that extreme uh, um, relationship into his world, whether he likes it or not, you know, uh, but it, but it, you would think that this is a person from day one, if the mother is represented by the moon that had that mother that wasn't really there because Uranus isn't so independent that maybe you have this issue where the mother just disappears, which is exactly what happened to him. Uh, but, but the interesting is still carrying on, you know, which, which is, it's like a pattern. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's actually, that's uh, often one of the more spooky sides of astrology where, you literally see these archetypes in your life all the time. You know, they're, they're there and you don't even realize that, you know, Trudeau or anyone else with that may be perfectly bright and tuned in in many different ways, but then they just gravitate towards someone yeah. that they don't, they don't see the, they, they can't pick up the lack of reliability, which is a classic yes. reason. Yes. The Uranus yes. person will say, oh, I'll be there at two o'clock. And then they find a reason not to be there at two o'clock right. because something more important to them, you know, to their, the way they are, came up. Uh, but again, that's the dark side. And then the, the idea would be for the, for the person, like with anything else, any other planet is, continue to pay attention to get better and better at that. And so, you know, hopefully, for example, he won't do it again, you know, because right. didn't he just, he's getting divorced, right? He is getting divorced. I think uh, his chart has been looked at because he's a Virgo rising and Saturn's transiting through Pisces right now. So while there were rumors about him and his wife, you know, struggling, it really was with Saturn being in that seventh house that I think made the decision for him. Yeah, it's a long, I mean, I don't know what his personal relationships are, but really politically, it is unreliable women, as you say, or women who turn against him, which is really interesting because he's been the most progressive prime minister we've had in terms of putting more women in the cabinet than ever, and definitely very pro-women, but it's just something we've noted. And and then you look at his, you know, the early life was very difficult, having that, that issue with the mother. And it's just, a, I think, a classic Uranus uh, moon contact where there's so much. And I think the opposition is one where it's done to you. I think of all the ones that, of all the aspects, the, the, the opposition can often come from outside, right? It's not an internal struggle as much as somehow <laughs> it manifests in the outer world and you have very little control. You have to sort of, the, the only thing you can control is your reaction at that point. So I thought he was a particularly good example. Moving to moon Neptune, now you have the capacity of merging and, and you know, dissolution and uh, illusion and the other side combining with your habitual self. One of the people that has this on the zenith is, uh, I think, Bob Dylan, which kind of makes sense if you look at his uh, music. It's very kind of Neptunian, you know, um, but it's right up there, very, very high. It's the, the Neptune, I think, is the planet that is at the zenith in this chart. And uh, so what do you when, when you look at moon Neptune, how do you see that manifesting? 
See, is Bob Dylan the one that smokes pot all the time, or is that someone else? <laughs> Probably, I don't know. He might. No, he's the he's Bob Dylan is the uh, the the folk singer from the sixties with the kind of uh, different who also. Um, as a writer, this is kind of weird, but he won the Nobel Prize for Literature and, and just it was considered a ridiculous choice at the time because he's not really um, a person writing the in the tradition. He's writing songs. But yeah, the protest singer from the 60s, right? He Because he could see a better world. He could see Neptune, right? which is always about transcending the world with its limits and with 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 all its silliness and, and you know, getting building something that is larger. So how, what other ways? I mean, I would think that Moon Neptune could actually, in the shadow side, be a marker for a possible addiction. You could be addicted to something, right? Because Neptune often in a shadow expression will take you to places where you want to merge or dissolve to such a great degree that you'll use substances perhaps that are maybe not helpful, um, but which will allow you to transcend your limited, habituated body reality. Because I also think the moon's a bit like the body and the moon... Uh, you know, so if Neptune's there, maybe the body feels uncomfortable. What's your take on this? Yeah, that that I would I would agree with that. That the Moon Neptune and the idea of of dissolving, merging, disappearing, uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It also, you, if you track it, what I've noticed is that if the Moon is aspecting Uranus, the the odds are really really good that I'll be wide awake unless it's the middle of the night and or in fact if it's the middle of the night I might wake up this happened before and the moon Neptune at any point it's a sleepy energy when you're feeling sleepy and dopey so in other words it's bringing you into that domain where this is known that in you know the sleep state you're there but you're just not conscious you're not present to that state and so then it takes those forms in daily life and you could be for example at the same time, disconnected, sleepy, delusional, you know, on the downside, but really inspired mm -hmm. by the the notion of merging, which is the idea that you're you're one with the universe, so to speak. You're you're joined, and you know this can take many forms. Because, for example, if an artist with say Moon Neptune, they might be painting and completely disappear into the painting, and they'll even tell you that's how I do the painting. When I'm painting, I'm I don't know where I am. I'm just doing the painting. So the universe expresses in a joined way uh, because of the Neptune. But now when you said about addiction, it is true. So I, I assign Neptune by and large the types of intoxicants that relax. The, the So Neptune that way is in the same range as Venus and Jupiter. They, they, they're in, sort of in the same area. Neptune is an extreme opening, relaxing. Someone could be a, a an addict with Uranus because they're going the other way. They want ex extreme stimulation. So if you right, think right. cocaine is Uranian, right. uh, heroin is Neptunian, for example, right. as an example. Or psychedelics might be Neptunian, which I, I think one of the, the arguments that's been made about the revival of interest in psychedelics is because Neptune is going through Pisces. And so something that had been banned for, for a long time, it might be coming back online because um, the, that's one of the arguments. And uh, no, you don't believe so? Uh, well... I think the Neptune, like the broad category, the broad category, when you, if you get an umbrella and you say you assign any kind of uh, intoxicant around altering mind, yes, there I would say yes. The only yes. thing with, that I, where I think you bring Uranus in very strongly is that psychedelics by and large tend to speed you up. So the psychedelics, they're not things like uh, psilocybin, LSD, they tend to speed up the energy and you so in other words they lead to insight the big the big pro, the big mm -hmm. thing so in other words 
uh, when people take psychedelics, one of the things that is said about this is that you are very unlikely to become addicted to psychedelics, but yeah, you will yeah, get addicted sure. to the ones that really were like the opiates, you know, and, right. and heroin. Okay, the ones they that were lacking. You in, it's literally like you're just, you, you're lost and you, you know, you, you cannot find yourself back again. The psychedelics allow you to find yourself. You realize, okay, this is where I am. This is what I can right. do. Interesting. Yeah. So that, that contrast is there. But yeah, overall, I mean, for example, the idea of uh, if you find Moon Neptune in someone's fourth house, you uh, are more likely than not to hear either they tell you my f entire family is filled with art artists or more commonly, you know, my father was the an drugs. artist. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, uh, right, because of the... Well, and I would say the Pisces in general, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing about the revival in psychedelic use has been in the context of therapy, right? Very different from what was yes. happening, the mm -hmm. tuning out. Now it's being used as a form to help people through trauma, which I think does have a relationship to Pisces more than it would to anything else. And most trauma is very much, uh, unfortunately, it's very uh, linked to early life and early, early problems that basically went underground and, and continue to give you problems. So the basic revival of it is through universities, bringing it in, studying it as a therapeutic method that can help things like PTSD and, and right. they've been very successful. So the fact that we're even having a conversation is about something like that is Neptunian only in the sense that it's a substance that alters the mind, that does not allow the mind to stay. So that's yeah. more fun. And by the way, um, some of it is the idea that, because Neptune, if you connect it, uh, associated to Pisces, and I've definitely seen that, it's a valid association. Mm -hmm. Then you're in the, you're in the uh, hospital house. You're in the place where you're repairing. And notice what happens is that if a person is in pain, they feel, they feel separate. They feel really irritated. Yeah. They want to join again. And then when you give them a drug, they, it causes, like in a way, it causes the disappearance of the body. But you know, when you think yeah. of your body, everybody wants. To, people are trying not to feel their body. And in, yeah, in yeah, a sure. way, when you're healthy. You, you don't feel your body. When you're unhealthy, your body becomes a problem. It reminds yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So then the Neptune is the shortest, the shortest way to disappearing. You know. right. So now, separately though, that's also the, the, the planet of meditation because exactly. you're doing that while you, have a, you can have a perfectly fine body and there's some technique or something you do to, in a sense, transcend the body and join, right? So the joining right. thing is the, is the key thing where... Right. Uranus is not really a joining. Uranus is a is a no, yeah, no. exclusive energy. Right. So it's more likely to show up, for example, in a in a Republican politician and right. Neptune dominant in a more democratic politician. Right. Because they want the merging and the society. And I think yeah. that's why Bob Dylan having that as Zenith makes it sense he was for the repair of society for right. the the new society he didn't have you know, he wasn't a, he wasn't uh it'd be interesting to see and one day i hope and i guess there are studies like this about different uh energies that artists put out and how they how they differ and i think the planet that conjuncts whatever we're talking about does or whatever or maybe it's on an angle really does have a lot to say with, for example, one that comes to mind is Richard Wagner, who was this 19th century composer who everybody was a horrible human being. But what's interesting is he had Venus right on the ascendant, and most of his operas were about women or about the feminine, more more specifically. And the Venus was there. He even wrote uh, an opera called Tannhauser, which is all about Venus. <laughs> so uh, it's like you know, it, it, it's a it's a perfect match for whatever archetypal principle. And I think he had a very pitched Uranus, and he basically broke the art form. So you want to look at those because I think they tell you a lot a lot about it. So moving to the Moon Pluto now, Moon Pluto is a toughie. 
like Pluto always mixing stuff. Mm-hmm. I always think of. Yeah. <laughs> I know you haven't noticed personally, Andre, <laughs> but but I'm thinking because I, not with you so much, but I've seen um, Moon Pluto people at times have um, obsessive issues around food, which shouldn't surprise anybody. And I'm trying to think of Car- Karen Carpenter, who eventually of the Carpenters, who I think, well, she definitely died from anorexia. I'm trying to remember if she had Moon Uranus or Moon Pluto. She definitely had a Moon aspect, right? But you can see how Moon Pluto can create this this obsessiveness because Pluto, by its very nature, is extremely obsessive. And then you couple it with the body and the food, and then you may be obsessed about your body and what you're putting into your body and how much and and quantities. And I, you know, and on the one hand, it makes you an expert because you're watching. And I've seen this with you. You really know every substance because you watch yourself so carefully. On the other hand, in its shadow expression, it can make you almost too obsessive and could actually hurt you because that becomes your world, which is, I think, what happens to a lot of people with eating disorders. It's like everything disappears except the eating disorder. What's your experience? I mean, you know this well, so tell us about Moon Pluto. Uh, <laughs> You're leaving the room. <laughs> I know, I'm leaving the room in terror. Terror. Well, I mean, the thing is that it, it, there are many angles, including that that uh, in your upbringing, the image of the mother can be of a controlling mother right. because of Pluto, Pluto's nature. I, I often think of Pluto, though, even though the one of the most obvious ways is as a kind of super Mars, because it's a very, um, you know, uh, machismo type of uh, energy, mm-hmm. the person that is... Uh, toxic, toxic male would be would be plutonian that way. That's why you know separately Eris breaks that up and all that. But the point being that um, it can be a tr- tremendously uh, controlling type of energy. But I also often think of it as a kind of super Mercury, in that it 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 has a kind of extreme energy around the idea of noticing everything. It's a it's a mm-hmm. policing type of energy, right? So the thing is, when it's not working properly, a Plutonian person, Pluto anything, but certainly Pluto moon, because the moon is how you feel safe and comfortable. So you put Pluto moon and then the person can feel comfortable controlling. So then they want to control other people's emotions, right? So this would be a really dangerous thing if you put it in the chart of somebody and they're running a country, you know, they're going to be very, you know, paranoid, include that's another word that you could assign to Pluto, because paranoia is like thinking too much, analyzing too much, wanting to have too too much control. But you can see how it'd be incredibly useful if you use it properly to just pay a lot of attention and notice what is happening and notice what is happening in real time. And then uh, also the other thing about the moon this is a little bit of a thing. I don't know what you think about this a thing around rulership of the moon, because the Mercury is your thinking, but your memories have a lot to do with your moon. Oh, yeah, what, for sure. What is, for what sure. is in, left in there? So a lot of what a person figures out in their life and acts upon is their memory. They put together, yeah. OK, this happened to me, then this happened to me, then, this, you know, OK, I'll do this. And this is where people will laugh at other people. Well, how could you have concluded that? Well, this is where you got to get it right. You know, in order to do it. So the product of all that observation, you know, intense, uh, whatever you're doing with your Pluto can become really useful around your emotions, uh, how you manage your emotions, how you manage your food, how you manage your comfort, right? And that, see, this is one of the things with Pluto Mundo. Pluto, because it's a harsh um, energy, is more likely to undertake harsh things because it, there's a comfort in being uncomfortable, for example. This is why you, in my past, 
I, at one point I was a distance runner and I would laugh at myself because I would think, well, why are you doing this? I mean, all you're looking forward to is being extremely uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> in a race, right? Uh, so, uh, but the logic of that was releasing energy, you know, mm -hmm. uh, this is, by the way, uh, once again, go back to the beginning when we were talking about Gurdjieff, he had a lot of Pluto as well, which is why he went the way he went. And his, his techniques were designed to create intense discomfort in the person, which would then raise them to this high energy level. And they would see what it was and experience personal power, which is also right. a Plutonian. Uh, oh, yeah, for moon. sure. Well, two things about that, for about the moon and memory. So the moon, if the moon is the body, a lot of trauma uh, specialists like Gabor Mate and Peter Levine, and there, there's quite a few people, Vessel van der Kolk, will say that all of the memories are actually stored in your body, right? And so it's not about the mind. It's that your body is actually resonating to whatever was encoded in there. Because remember that under the age of five, we're not really encoding with language. So it's almost like you have to recover. And the problem with trauma is to be able to process. And that's what their argument is, that if you don't process through the body, you won't get rid of trauma. The problem with that is that you have to feel it. And it's extremely painful. And most people, as you say, are doing their best to avoid the body because there's a lot of pain in there. And so when you put Pluto mixed in there, then the pain is intense often. And and if you don't find it intense, I think maybe you create situations by where it's it's extremely intense. The other thing that comes to mind is what Alan White said, and we said it in uh, the Pluto episode, that Pluto makes big things small and small things big. And when you were speaking, that's the way I see it, that other things that are big, I think with Pluto, you get this extreme focus, as you said, and the world disappears. And then only that thing is there. And that is, I think, why it could be behind things like eating disorders, that the world becomes very small because your reality gets smaller and smaller. And of course, we're talking about the body in, in, combination, in combination with Pluto. Um, and then that would also explain paranoia. And that if that if you're making big things small and small things big, you can take one little comment someone made and make it very big very quickly and mm -hmm. decide that there's a whole conspiracy that's behind you. So it's a bit of a dangerous, uh, dangerous kind of combination. But because you've lived with it, what is your what would you if you're counseling someone? Because I know a lot of your approach is very proactive and trying to get people to, you know, not to be caught in a loop. What would you tell them is a good approach to be able to deal with these two two this two planets in conversation, or what's well, a light and a planet? But you know what I mean. What would you tell them? Well, I I would say go to the go toward the highest potential of Pluto, which is I interpret it as a, a kind of relentless awareness, a kind of attitude that says my life is my moments, and I'm just going to pay attention. I'm going to pay attention, and so because I'm paying attention, I'm more likely to notice. And how can you not notice your own body? You're next to it or you are it, or, you know, I mean, this is where it gets silly because it's all language. Like, am I my body? Am I my soul? Yeah, yeah. It's right there. That is your most immediate uh, connection to the universal energy. It's through that conduit. So right. you're paying attention. But it's, by the way, in Buddhism, they say this explicitly, your first meditation is your body. It's much easier to track your elbow than your mind. Your mind is faster. The, the yeah. thoughts move and then they slip away and you can't but noticing how you're feeling which by the way is pluto moon how are you feeling why are you feeling this way right and especially when it's just you because this the where this can become problematic is if you say well how are you feeling i don't feel well why because so and so did this thing well that's outside you you know that the, yeah. the, sooner or later you have to realize you got to put that aside those things whatever they're doing they're doing just what about you you're managing your life what's happening with your feelings 
And that, that's a study that can take years. What I would say is that uh, the problem can be that a person with Pluto Moon, and I'm speaking for myself, and hopefully you know, it'll apply to other people with Pluto Moon as well, the danger is when you follow other people's or other systems that you think should apply to you. That, that has been, my, for me, the hardest around, for instance, studying food. There's a lot of misinformation out there about food. And you can follow a thing for a while and then realize, wait a second, I'm being lied to, you know, like for example, for, for years, remember this thing that everybody thought, get skim milk, low fat this, low fat yeah, that, yeah. and then it gets exposed as basically a money racket that you right. know the entire system is geared this way. And imagine that you were getting really good information from the beginning about anything. Now you can be more grounded and carry the experiment forward more quickly without having to go through a lot of, you know, uh, bad feeling that you didn't need right, to. Right. Now, mind you, I will tell you this, the Pluto moon, once again, because we said earlier, you want to learn about it, track the moon when it aspects your Pluto. Right. It's not an easy energy because the other no, thing about no. Pluto, by the way, which you probably will agree with, is it's one of the most shadowy planets imaginable. And so if you think of your literal shadow, like, I mean, you're just looking at it, th that to me is the experience of moon Pluto. Right, I, I'm, right. really, I'm really familiar with my shadow. And I, I continue to study that because, yeah, it's problematic. You know, it's problematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, you can watch it on a monthly level. You can see moon hitting yeah. your natal Pluto. But having just gone through a Pluto conjunction to my moon, which is pretty major, and that only happens once in a lifetime, right? Um, for most of us, anyway, certainly a conjunction will only happen and to some people will never happen. It is a very isolating moment as well. You feel extremely isolated. You don't feel like you're relating to to others at least the way I experienced it, because that's such a big hit um, to it. But on the positive side, you do, as you said before, you do notice things. And one of the things I find is the moon doesn't, as you said, we try, try not to notice our bodies. We're always trying to escape the feeling in our body, uh, bodies. And I think that Pluto doesn't let you do that. That's the gift, the hidden gift. It's a curse and it's a gift, because on the one hand, geez, who needs it? On the other hand, people who are in contact with that really understand their bodies very well, which most of us don't. Right. And if we go back to what we started saying, that the story is all encoded, all of our history is encoded in our moons, then actually, in, in, in a way, it is a helpful thing to have if you're willing to deal with the shadow side, the the discomfort, the but really the discomfort is because you're aware of it. I think the rest of us might be not aware of it and maybe just what we do is we dope ourselves up with television, whatever whatever your drug of choice, so that we don't have to notice it. So Pluto will take you there, but I think in terms of an evolutionary step, in terms of something changing, you can't really get massive change without Pluto coming in there. And you're seeing it on a national scale right now with all the talk of the Pluto return for uh, the United States, right? You get this feeling that when it comes in, systems fall apart and things have to be rebuilt in a different way because you can't ignore it. You can't ignore all the garbage. It's always there, right? But it reveals things. It totally reveals things to you. Um, and so th that's the hidden gift of it. But, it, but you know, yeah, it's tough. It, uh, just by transit, I can tell you that it is extremely, what I felt was extremely tough. But on the other hand, looking back, and I think most people will say that, it also yielded some information I didn't have before, which is helpful moving forward. So that, that's the hidden, I think, with all of these conversations. But, you know, wrapping it up, do you want to say something about Moon Eris? Have you, because you bring in Eris into your conversation, have you done enough of a study on how that could look? Well, to be honest, it, uh, that one, I have still what I consider 
uh, good but still general sense of what the planet does. Uh, so I think as the years pass, I'll become more and more confident in what I'm saying. But I know that Eris, for one thing, Eris tends to be a, an energetic and uh, competitive energy. So a moon mm -hmm. Eris person will feel that because that's the moon and they will likely drift that way. And, and uh, for, so, for example, that could be very useful for an athlete in terms of their competitive uh, mm -hmm. energy, right, as an example. It's also, at the same time, on the shadow side, is a chaotic type of energy. Eris, when it runs amok, is literal chaos. It's the idea of, of things being completely out of order, you know, getting into a food fight. So a person could also go that way and, and literally enjoy seeing that around them because of having the Eris that way. Uh, and once again, moon, trine Eris, sextile Eris is usually going to be easier to deal with than a conjunction, a square, or an opposition, right? Yeah. So uh, overall, to me, the, having the outer planets, any, any of the outer planets, is a useful thing, provided you can become more and more conscious of the energies. Because the whole idea is those planets are really slippery, and they'll, they'll uh, if they're connected, whether it's at birth or especially in transit, both, you know, what can happen is it's like drinking really strong Kool-Aid, and you go off on a some kind of thing that later you think, wow, that was really, uh, in astrology terms, too Uranian, you know, for example. Right. I was too out there with my self-willed behavior, right? right, right. Um, but at the same time, how do you grow if you don't no, no, you know, bring, no. the, bring these things in, right? And, you know, yeah. again, Eris is a point in the chart. So the way I'm learning about it, uh, for the most part, is tracking when the moon and any planet is aspecting, you know, the... Right. The Eris energy in, in my right. chart, uh, so that's that's the logic there. Okay, well, I think that's a good wrap up of the moon. Next time we will look at Mercury and see what happens when you put it in any kind of conversation. I mean, I think one of the things that is clear is that when we get to the outer planet contacts, conversations with the inner planets, things are much more, uh, I'd say, pronounced and. Um, they're bigger. <laughs> the thing becomes bigger, right? Uh, and we'll see if it works with Mercury, but that's generally by transit. So, you know, we have a chart and then we have planets keep making aspects. You do notice those major planets when they they, they hit, you really feel them. Um, and I'm talking about Saturn right out to uh, Eris and well, Saturn to Pluto, really, which is what we mostly track. And so you do notice that, uh, but as you say, the moon, because we were talking about the moon, is the one way that you can learn about all of these planets just by watching it every month. And you could do it today by going to astroseek.com. I mean, there's so many places on, on the web where you can now find where's the moon today, what's happening. And just if you know your chart, just see what, what kind of conversations the moon having. The other thing I would say is the moon is involved in some way with your dreams. I know Neptune is generally the one, but I, I think I think also I've noticed my dreams change given where the moon is. So another thing to watch your unconscious is just track your dreams, see what's going on, what's what's coming up there, because that actually sometimes does coincide very much with whatever planet it's hitting. So that's that's another well, type I mean, as well. By the way, one quick thing is yeah. that th these kinds of things happen quite a bit. So we're talking now, and the moon is a twenty-three degrees Cancer, which is <laughs> yes. You know, kind of it's opposite your moon and yeah. my sun is in the on the same on the opposite side so yeah. you see this a lot that that the planets will show up in your life in the strangest ways yeah. if you're paying attention so often what can happen in astrology is is the the worst thing is you're not even tracking them 
the next better thing not quite good yet is you track them after things happen to you. But right. then you start to get wise to the idea that you can be noticing, okay, well, at 2 p.m. I'm going to have whatever, moon Jupiter, right. moon, uh, and because you know where it is. So you just know. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this thing is not complicated. It's not, uh, you know, uh, algebra. It's very simple geometry and tracking, and you have to have enough interest to know this is where the moon is, and therefore... Right. Uh, and you know the problem is that you need to do it long enough because uh, to get the to get all the information to get the feeling of it because uh, sometimes n not a lot happens so you won't be able to find the correlation it's too subtle right, right? and now other times I can't remember to give you an example going back really quickly to Moon Mars I remember many years ago I was in a in a building uh, I don't know what it was I was I was closing the building there was an alarm of some kind that I had to set <laughs> and the moon was square Mars and I thought well. I know, what is this Moon-Mars square? What It's supposed to be, uh, you know, some kind of troubled energy, you know, and I'm, I'm, I feel fine. And then something went wrong with the alarm. The whole place started to blare. I'm phoning. And then, and then in the middle of it, I forgot for a few minutes because I was busy trying to solve it. And then I thought, okay, that's the Moon-Mars. I just experienced it in real time because it made me angry. I remember that I, yeah, yeah, of I course. became angry. The person wasn't reacting quickly enough. And this was like, it appeared to be in my life at that moment, in that place, that was my reality and right. probably the other person on the other end but i'm sure people down the street they weren't getting the moon mars i was yeah. getting moon mars so there's mars. a direct teaching that is coming across at that point right i, I you won't might not remember this but we shared a moon mars uh, moment when you were still living in toronto we had gone i don't know where but we went into a, a bank machine to get out money and you had commented oh the moon mars is square mars in the sky so we were just talking about that and we go into this bank place and the guy in front of us just blew up <laughs> completely <laughs> We both looked at each other like, oh, I mean, completely crazed. To this day, I have no idea why he was so upset. But he just blew up and we're both like, okay, stand back. <laughs> and then yeah, he stormed out yeah. of there. Great. You know? Yeah, so, that's an example. That's an example of the Mars. So it's there, but it, even that, it's unpleasant, right? For example. Yeah, of course. You'd rather it didn't have, last long, but yeah. Rather a Venusian experience or whatever, yes. right? But, but you're getting, in other words, this is where astrologers have to say this. The, the solar system is there in front of you, in front of you all the time, right? right. You just need to be paying attention, and the best way to learn is learn directly, because yeah. when you're in the transit and you, you feel it, you go through it, uh, maybe a good way to recommend as a, as a study is, and here I, I have to confess, I've relied mostly on memory because I'm so into it, and I remember, including my alignment with everything I'll think back and I don't know where the planets were but it can be a good idea to write things down because sometimes you don't remember and later but you can look back and see the date and notice you know right, right. you'll be reminded of an event that reflected yeah, yeah. the uh well, I, honestly, if you want to study astrology as a form of meditation, I can't think of a better one because you are tracking time, right? And you're aware of time and you're aware of things changing. And then you do see weird things like that day. None of us had that particular, neither one of us had that particular moon Mars active in our chart, but we we witnessed literally the coming together of those two planets, which didn't in the end affect us. We just kind of laughed it off, but it was like, wow, okay. At that moment, boom, you know, explosion uh, somewhere around us that oh, kind of so, told okay, you. So wait, 
So you're saying that that's because the moon Mars were square in the sky, not yeah, yeah, okay, you had, you okay, had, okay, yeah, 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 which is why it did. I mean, we observed it and laughed because it didn't. I mean, the man got very angry at something we don't know, but it didn't really affect us except this watching and thinking, what the heck's going right. on? So it wasn't right. directed at us, but you could see that it was in a manifestation of what was in the sky at that moment. Right. So if we knew his chart, possibly it was active on his chart, which is why he decided to have a complete uh, meltdown momentarily, but it was interesting. Okay. All right. Next, uh, next time we will take on Mercury. Okay. Until next time. Thanks for listening today. If you want to hear more about all of this, go to YouTube where you will find Andre's channel called Astrology Alert. He posts videos there almost daily. He also teaches classes through his Patreon account. You can find me at sophiacycles.com. If you want to support my work, I've recently released a new novel called Invocation, which you may find of interest. Go to my website to see a book trailer about it. It's available in all fine bookstores, including Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Finally, if you like this podcast, please rate it and leave a review so that others will find it as well. 